0: Hello and welcome to the Coffee Curious Podcast. Conversations inspired by coffee, hosted by me, Maxwell clonard Dashwood. In this episode, I chat to New York Times best-selling author, Joe Abercrombie. Joe's been a regular at our shop for many years and writes subversive fantasy novels. I'm a bit of a fan. Welcome to the Coffee Curious Podcast. Oh, it's an honour and a privilege to be here. This is where the magic happens, behind the scenes, backstage. Which you know a bit about. A little bit. A little bit. We'll get on to that later. OK. But so how would you describe yourself? So I describe you as Joe Abercrombie, mm-hmm. author, and then people say, oh, well, what does he write? And I describe it as... It's wrong to describe it as adult fantasy because that sounds like it's porn.
1: It does a little... So there, there's, a, there's a conversation I have with everyone who ever asks this question, and it goes along the lines of, oh, what do you do? And I reply, I'm a writer. And they'll then say, oh, uh, are you published? And I'll say, well, yeah, you know, it would be it would be lean times in my house if I wasn't published at all. And then they say, oh, that's exciting. And and what do you write? And I say, fantasy. And they oh, become a little disappointed (laughs) and surprised at that point. I use Game of Thrones as the uh, as the obvious go to
0: comparison. And then do they? And then do they? I write less
1: successful Game of Thrones Thrones
0: style books. But do they peak up when they hear Game of Thrones when they have a reference point?
1: It helps. Yeah, it helps to have a reference point. Prior to the success of Game of Thrones, it was Lord of the Rings meets L.A. Confidential.
0: Oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah, that was the the
1: elevator pitch.
0: (laughs) Mm. And how long have you been a writer? Because I think I might have your background wrong. I've done no research on you whatsoever. It's It's... always (laughs) impressive, the preparation. (laughs) No, because um, the thing is, I know you because you've been coming in our coffee shop for years. That's true. So I feel like I know about you, but we'll see if I'm right or wrong.
1: Well, absolutely. It's been education for us both. (laughs) Psychologist. True. Well, a psychology degree, uh, and um, I was bored enough after three years <laughs> of psychology to decide that I didn't want to do it as a profession.
0: OK. Yeah.
1: So I uh, I worked in TV for a while. Oh, you did? I did, which well, is what people who, who don't know what they want to do end up doing. Doing, often. OK. What type of work in TV? I was an editor, so um, I worked on... Uh, mostly live music and uh, documentaries of one kind or another I'm just
0: trying to, i'm just trying to think how you went from yeah. psychology degree to that i'm really not sure myself <laughs> i think we
1: uh i moved out of london because a lot of people i knew at university were from london and london seemed like an a tiny exotic all oh, right an interesting fascinating place i'm from the north so uh, okay. so it was uh, an opportunity to go south where the streets are paved with gold and i ended up carting camera equipment round for a a friend of mine's dad who worked in news and eventually wandered into a post-production place and
0: started working as a
1: runner, to, runner and, and eventually became an editor. Yeah.
0: Uh, interesting. And then at what point did, uh, during this whole time, was writing something you did or interested in or a hobby or a passion? or?
1: It was, I mean, I was a keen reader and had always been a keen reader. My mum was an English teacher and a publisher and she got me reading very widely uh, from very young and I read all kinds of things, but I always enjoyed fantasy, Dungeons and Dragons, Lord of the Rings, all those oh, things. Good stuff, the classics, and uh, and La Confidential, yeah, and La Confidential. Um, but I, I suppose I kind of I read a lot of fantasy as a kid, and I started getting a little bit tired of what seemed quite a repetitive genre to me very heroic very predictable
0: it felt like one of those american tv shows where the structure to every episode is the same
1: exactly morally simple like a, yeah. like in star trek over and over and over yeah. you know <laughs>
0: uh, i love star trek but
1: but the sure comes you want you want some change and some unpredictability and to not know you're going to end every episode in the same place
0: yeah sure so the trilogy Mm. the first trilogy, was there any other writing before that? Or, Or was it like, okay, I've got this big idea. So based on what you just said, saying, okay, this is fantasy. This is what I love about it, but I'm frustrated by this. I want to create this thing, this story
1: that, yeah, that explores
0: mean, things differently.
1: A lot less of a considered approach. I we think.
0: can say it in hindsight. In it hindsight. Was always, it was always the big plan.
1: It's true. People ask you questions about what you had in mind, what were you doing, and over time you start to believe your own hype a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And, uh, I was destined to do this.
1: Exactly. <laughs> this was always the plan and su- such deep themes. But uh, really, I just, uh, working as an editor, which is a great job and it's a kind of exciting job and you get, you know, some creative input, but it's never your thing sure. you don't have ownership and so um i just wanted to do something where it was kind of purely me if you like okay, and i yeah. had control of it and so uh you know writing seemed like something i could try without a lot of effort and expense sure uh, and i'd had a little stab at it before but it had been very pompous and uh, predictable really and so when i tried again in my kind of mid to late 20s it just had more of a sense of humor I guess I was just taking myself less seriously.
0: Okay. In general, was it so I'm going to stop doing this job now as an editor and I'm going to begin writing or was it a general crossover?
1: It was very much a crossover. Okay. And I mean, only about 5% of writers, published writers actually make a living out of it. Yeah. So the vast majority of new writers would be very ill advised to give up the day job. I was very lucky in that, you know, I was freelance as a as a film editor like most most of them are. And so I was working 40 weeks a year, and I kind of, once I got a, a publishing deal, it was by no means a life-changing amount of money at all.
0: Yeah, it was a, I can keep doing this for a bit.
1: Exactly. I can, I can now take this a little bit more seriously. Okay.
0: Something that I find amazing when I, so I read your trilogy. Wow, you lucky thing. Uh, yeah, well, you said to me, actually, when I read that, you, were like, you basically said how lucky I was to be reading it for the first time. Oh, yeah.
1: I wish I could read them for the first time.
0: <laughs> Love those books. Do you get, that? I've thought this about, I had this conversation with Mike yesterday about um, mustn't it be difficult to be a one hit wonder musician and have to sing the same song all the time. Mm, um, yeah. You know, you're working on new material all the time, but I'm it's sure nice. you've got, you've also got that trilogy that's made your name, I guess. Yeah. And do you find yourself going back to it and being a bit like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the themes of that again, which I've gone over a million times. Well, I mean,
1: I'm kind of delighted when anyone... Oh, great. That's good. That's good. That's positive. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I, generally, I am. I think maybe uh, the last book you wrote is always it's kind of you're disgusted with. Oh, really? Yeah. As in the most
0: recent? Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: I think you, you reach a point where you revise things over and over and over, and you edit something, and then it's copy-edited, and by the time it's finished and sort of out of your hands, yeah. you're pretty sick of it. You need and some space. You need some space. You need to get away from it. And often, when you look back at it, you see all the mistakes and the things that went wrong. Sure.
0: And then what? You give it long enough time, you don't care. <laughs>
1: well, you give it a lifetime, and then you start reading it, and thinking, "Wow, I used to be quite good at this, <laughs> and now I'm terrible." So you're always worrying about the thing you're doing now. Um, so but the original the, but, books, I'm, I'm pleased and happy with it.
0: But the original, um, you create a whole world. And by the time you finished the trilogy, did you know the end when you started and you had this whole plan in mind of these themes you wanted to tie up and bring together? Yeah. Did you? No. No. (laughs) Okay. Not nearly as much as I probably should have had. But but at least sort of a a vague idea of some of the... I think, looking back, I was very
1: consciously... In the way that if you chose to write a Western, you'd write a classic Western with windswept streets and chaps and six-guns and Stetsons, because that's what people love about Westerns. Sure. In the same way, when I was writing a fantasy, I didn't want to somehow make it incredibly offbeat. I wanted to write a classic fantasy story. I wanted to write my take on it.
0: But then, uh, when I read... um, We'll talk about reviews in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) But when I read about... There's, your your trilogy did seem to create some controversy because in some way the finish is an anti- excellent well it's excellent excellent finish yeah <laughs> but no but the finish is and I won't give it away for people who haven't um, but oh, there's certain
1: poor people who haven't read
0: it yet. yeah there, there's certain archetypal characters that you associate with other fantasy and they sure. end up in a different place yes. some people might argue that it's a more cynical place yes and then I remember saying to you that I thought it was interesting that you did that and you said at the time, um, yeah, I mean, the book doesn't represent my whole world view. It represents a story I wanted to explore.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, Unforgiven is kind of the example I tiredly trot out often when I'm asked this kind of thing. In that, when you boil that story down, yeah. as a story, it's incredibly familiar. It's like a very classic Western with very classic characters. But the take on the material much grittier and more modern and more cynical. And yeah. that was sort of the approach I wanted to take. I wanted to have those things people want out of a fantasy story a, a cynical wizard and uh you know a boy with a special destiny and magic swords and all that stuff we like but yeah. at the same time i wanted it to feel modern and applicable and kind of gritty and um, yeah. unpredictable
0: and a bit more gray a bit more morally gray and a bit more gray yeah. indeed and then you did uh, books that fit into the same universe that are standalone yeah. and then you followed that with what would be come under the banner of young adult that's how, is that how you described it to me? I tried. That was the the <laughs> intention. I tried and people tried. just... <laughs> well, the intention was to
1: write young adult books because they were selling really well and they still are doing. And so I thought, here's an idea. I'll write some shorter books because that seemed like a good idea after writing some really long books that will work for my adult readership but could also be you know sold to a slightly younger audience and maybe bring some young kids in to my adult stuff as they get older. Oh, OK. Yeah. Clever. A brilliant idea. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah you want to write what you feel excited to write but at the same time i think there's this common misconception that writers work on inspiration and the muse brings the idea down from heaven
0: honestly is that not cushion. true is that not
1: not to, not for me anyway <laughs> i'm kind of more of a i work out one idea at a time and i kind of plan it in quite a workmanlike way okay
0: so you're um, quite analytical about yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and
1: yeah. you know the readership of it and the business of it and how it's going to be sold those are all questions that kind of factor into what am I going to do next? Because, you know, those first three books were, were sort of the thing I wanted to do. And once I'd done that...
0: That's interesting. Yeah. So that, that I, I'm, I pick up game mechanics quite a lot, which is that even if people pretend there's um, a creative muse, there's still a game mechanic they're working to. There's still things that they, even whether they know it or not, parameters they're working within. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't mean... I think, obviously, sometimes it sounds unromantic to say there's not those things, but actually it's still really creative to work within those parameters that you've set yourself.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of boundaries and parameters and frameworks yeah. and things yeah. of that kind. I mean, my my comparison with that is always Star Wars 4, 5 and 6 compared to Star Wars 1, 2 and 3. Yeah. You know, once you've got no limits, you can do whatever you like, suddenly you find actually you don't know what to do. Yeah. It's a total mess.
0: And you just do anything.
1: And you do anything and, and it doesn't work. Sure, sure, sure. You know, sure. it's much better. And I think a lot of... You know, great creative decisions come out of those some kind of ba- yeah, co- yeah constrictions of time and budget and sure audience and all those things. So definitely, it's part of the of the equation. You know, you're writing to your own taste, but at the same time, you're considering what will work. And yeah. you know, I like things like uh, I like things that are big and commercial and popular. Sure, like, like India. I don't look at say Indiana Jones and think, oh, here's a disappointing artistic failure." <laughs> I think here's a fantastically clever piece of commercial. Filmmaking that is just as as clever and 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 you know artistic as
0: some kind of anything, art house.
1: In fact, often a lot more so. It's it's the absolute apogee of craft combined with creativity, if you like.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna to have to ask you a coffee question.
1: Yeah, man, absolutely. If that's so, what
0: we're here for. The, well, the question, there's a question that we, I ask everyone. It's to do with your most memorable cup of coffee. Ooh. And the idea is that. Either you got brought up on coffee and you've always liked coffee and then there was a particular cup of coffee that was very special. Or in my case and a few other people's cases, they sort of weren't that interested in coffee and then suddenly they had a cup of coffee and I'm like, oh, actually, coffee's really interesting.
1: Hmm. It's a good question, because I didn't really grow up with coffee at all. I didn't even start drinking coffee or tea until I was kind of in my 20s. Oh, yeah. And then when I started working as a runner and my job was kind of to make tea, mm-hmm. often there'd be cups of tea and coffee left over around the place and I started drinking it literally for that reason. And then I started getting into it. Cappuccino seemed strange and exotic back then. I got quite into whiskey okay, at one point. And whiskey obviously has always had a big culture of connoisseurship and tasting and the, the notes within the yeah. drink and all that stuff. I'm not sure I really have that discerning a palate. Okay. I wish I did. (laughs) But when people say notes of hazelnut and you know a little bit of seaweed, and sometimes I can kind of see what they mean, but generally it's just more a mood that I get out of it. Okay. Um, maybe that's the the writer in me. It's a kind of just a a sense and a feel from something rather than specific notes and so on. And so I kind of had that grounding slightly, of being interested in whiskey and uh, you know tasting and comparing different whiskies a little bit. And so I think coming here was probably the first time that I started thinking about coffee in a similar way, because obviously you had stuff up on the board.
0: And that's it, we use, in coffee, we use those parallels all the time because they've yeah. been well laid out for us. Yeah. Whiskey, wine, craft beer now.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And
0: then people go, oh, okay, I get it, I see. Yeah. Whereas coffee doesn't have that well-trodden narrative of, you know, in fact, the challenge in the UK especially is that oh, it's just a cup of coffee, what you want about? It's, uh...
1: Does anyone still take that? attitude though it feels like you know to
0: be honest very rarely like that attitude right. seems to me like it's almost gone um and i remember yeah. so we've been in bath we've had a business here our cafe for several years eight nine years now and um i sometimes have to remember how difficult it was
1: i remember i remember someone saying i went to this cafe they wouldn't let me have sugar in my coffee yeah. for example was which that? was
0: yeah which is not true <laughs> no of course it's of the, course. the fact that we yeah that's a better story for them to go and tell naturally the fact that we recommend the coffee without sugar. Yeah, that's not an exciting story to be uh, <laughs> aghast by when you go and you'll never guess what happened to me this morning. Um, but yeah, no, we did have that a lot. And we, you know, I remember, I think early on, me and you chatted about reviews because mm. the coffee shop is mine and Leslie's uh, passion project and the staff who work here. Yeah. And now we're roasting coffee and we're doing different things. But the, the the cafe was the first thing that we put out to the world and said, this is us. Yeah. And It hurts, some, doesn't it? It
1: hurts, yeah.
0: It <laughs> really hurts. And I remember talking to you about uh, reviews and, you know, you are a very successful author. Uh, New York Times uh, yeah, bestseller. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. suppose, I suppose, yeah. The funny thing is, is people say to me when I got annoyed, they were like, oh, why do you care? Why don't you just let it go? And it's like, it doesn't, I think if you really love it, it doesn't matter how successful lack of successful you've been. It's that moment in time, you feel like they're attacking everything you've done, right?
1: Yeah, and I mean it feels like an attack on you personally. I mean, yes. I think my kind of response to criticism has changed a lot over time. I mean, when when I first started, the mildest, you know,
0: response, so to even the slight do. sort of I don't if they don't say they love it, then exactly. it cut you deep.
1: It could burn, you know, <laughs> even even qualified by 10 positive things and one slight negative.
0: Yeah. Oh, oh, like, what, oh. was
1: that, what was that negative thing you said? The pain. Yeah, and it can be, you know, I'd also find my heart would really get going when when i realized i was about to read some
0: negative response. review
1: not even negative just oh, some just, just... response you know what will it be oh, how wow. good will it be how bad will it be i'd really you know be quite fear is the wrong word but a kind of fight or flight reaction you know a really intense i think if you're going to write at all well you've got to put it all on the table of
0: course you know? yeah and lay yourself bare and be as honest as you can but when you were saying just then your approach to criticism has changed over time you were just describing what it used to be like yeah so so how has it changed what's it like now
1: oh well i think you just you know everyone always says opinion especially about something like a book is is kind of subjective but no one actually believes that really (laughs) they think opinion subjective but i actually know but i'm right you know and i mean i was one of the one of these people who's incredibly critical about things and kind of hates everything and He's always the guy coming out of the film, slagging it off for one reason or another, yeah. how it felt. Yeah, well,
0: yeah, but that particular scene didn't work for exactly.
1: me. Exactly, ultra-critical yeah. about everything. Yeah. You always imagine, yeah, OK, well, some people like this, but, you know, they must kind of be idiots because sure. I don't like it and I'm incredibly clever. <laughs> you know, that was sort of the feeling. And, but it, once I wrote my own book and kind of, you know, put it out there, I did realise that truly every possible opinion... Can be had
0: can and will for, be had in time grabs.
1: Yeah. yeah absolutely i mean my first book's got maybe two or three thousand one star ratings wow yeah so that's uh, two... out
0: of how many sorry overall
1: out of maybe 110 120 something like that
0: so all oh, right so like two percent one one yeah. percent one one to two percent
1: yeah. and yeah but line them up
0: well, imagine I mean, when, those when,
1: people <laughs> gathered
0: in the square and you in the middle of the square
1: there's three thousand of them so that's a lot of them yeah it's, no it
0: is yeah It's a lot of people who read that book and hated it enough to, to... write one star. I had a friend who wrote a coffee book um, and I saw a one star review for it saying, it said, I like tea. One star. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and yeah or, or, you know, the, the book arrived late. One yeah. star. Of course. So you deal with it and you process it and you have the adrenaline reaction and the... Yeah. And you process it for the day and maybe you let it go the next day. Does any of it affect the way you... When you sit down to write next time? There are, there are things that have. You know, you get
1: little reviews of that kind and ratings and reactions and these days those don't affect me much you just accept that that's part of the business you know in a way no one will like everything and if you write something that is challenging in some way there'll
0: be people who don't like it and that yeah, just we, comes to the territory yeah and we kind of had the it's the same thing with our coffee shop which is we decided to serve coffee differently and maybe that challenges some people's expectations but also people like the coffee the way they Like it, so mm-hmm. by doing something different with the thing they like, yeah, you're almost asking for uh, several people to be upset. You are, and it's um,
1: and it's hard to you can be kind of broadly liked, yes. or you can be
0: loved by some and, and
1: hated by others often. You know, if you're going to be yeah. intensely loved, the chances are there'll be people who really dislike you for the same reasons, yes, others yeah. love you. You know, if you're making a, a huge budget film, you've got to hit a big section of the population, there's, yes. there's no choice. Whereas if you're writing a book or probably selling a specialty coffee for that matter, you don't have the to. The you... love of one percent is plenty.
0: More than enough. Yeah, absolutely. it's a, yeah. There's some people who are saying you know it's better to have a thousand people absolutely adore what you do rather than millions who are indifferent.
1: Yeah, well, a hundred thousand sales of a book is a is a big success. Huge success. Whereas yeah. hundred thousand sales of a major film would be a total disaster so
0: and speaking of film you may not be able to say anything about this because it may all be top secret absolutely um you're in the process of looking at turning some of what you've written into pictures that move also known as motion pictures
1: motion pictures so i've been involved in trying to adapt things for well six, six or seven years a lot of books get optioned Tell me what optioned means. So optioned is the kind of preliminary phase in getting My a book to screen. Is, yeah, okay. And basically it's when a studio or some individual comes to you and effectively pays you money not to sell the books to anyone else for a certain period.
0: Ah, so like it's, um, we might look at doing this in the next five years exactly. and if you sign this, no one else can look at doing it.
1: Exactly. They, yeah. pay, they pay you a fee so that basically they can go away and start to try and put a project together, start to develop it. Okay. start to get a writer involved start to get directors or actors or whoever it might be that gives the project some kind of gravity and critical mass that might eventually get it to the point where it actually gets made so many many things get optioned i mean often there'll be you know so a director or a producer who will read you know they read a lot a lot of these people read a hell of a lot and yeah. uh they'll read a book and be wow this is exciting this is interesting I, yeah. I, i'd love to adapt this and then you know they'll they'll pursue the the author and try and secure the rights to it and often they'll renew those options and secure those rights for, over the course of years and it might take yeah decades for something to finally wow. mature and okay. uh, reach the point
0: of coming to the screen we've talked about already about how you don't like not you one one uh, the one. you know whether it's putting yourself out there and the potential mm-hmm. criticism and it's it's yeah. your words you've yes you may have had editors and stuff but ultimately that's yours and then as far as i'm aware deciding to adapt that to the screen is handing that back over to a bunch of other people.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no one way of doing it. Often, a writer, a book writer, will just sell the rights and they'll be taken away and writers will be hired and the writer of the book will kind of never really be involved again until they're ignored at the... the Premier. Premiere. exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, and... Then later, perhaps, they'll be invited to speak on a panel of other embittered writers about how they got ignored at the premiere of the <laughs> film adapted from their book. You can't wait for that. Oh, God, I'm looking forward to that circuit. And then, you know, increasingly much these days, writers are getting more and more involved in kind of adapting their own stuff. So Gillian Flynn, for example, mm-hmm. who wrote um, Gone Girl, you know, she wrote the script for that film, and that's starting to become a more... More common. ...common,
0: I that's think. interesting. What well, that it's less of a rigid process and it's a... Little...
1: Yeah, I think there were, for a long time there's a real distrust of book writers in, in Hollywood and a uh, feeling like they couldn't do the necessary things to make the necessary sacrifices to adapt from one medium to another.
0: I've often wondered about things that have been really successfully adapted in the life of the author. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, not when you're dead. Yeah, well, well, <laughs> nice. yeah, it's always nice when it happens when you're alive. But let's say, so take Game of Thrones, for example. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of people have read the books, mm-hmm. but probably more people have seen the series i wouldn't be surprised and obviously the the notion of the character you create in your head is not the same as the actor that's hired and the film that gets made they're different and so i wonder you know for george rr R. martin how does he think of his characters now does he think of them as the ones in his book or does he think of them as the because he watches his films well series a lot right
1: well you know people that i've talked to talk about it as an exercise in disappointment <laughs> the making of any film <laughs> or of any you know adaptation because you have what's in your head, and especially from a casting point of view, you'll cast. Sometimes they cast two or three hundred people for a role, a really key role in a film. Sure. And many of those actors will be good, and many will have some of the qualities you want.
0: But none character. of them are going to have all.
1: No, often not. Sometimes you'll just hit the jackpot, and they're fantastic. Yeah. But often, and that's never going to happen for every role in your in your film or your show.
0: Yeah, you're always going to be disappointed with something. You are. You know, I really think that was miscast yeah. or that didn't really work. And you
1: find someone who can kind of, you know, get the violence of a character across but not the sensitive part of the character or they have the wit but they don't really have the yeah. threat, you know. So you have to rethink what that character is to suit the
0: actor. And So there hasn't been a point when you've played the mind game of thinking about how that person could be brought to, to life on screen?
1: I mean, a bit. Yeah.
0: Inevitably, you do a little I've bit. done it with your books. Yeah, I mean, I think... I, I find it it's very hard because... Yeah, and readers love to do it. I mean, you know, there's, there's readers who find it interesting and like to those are those online sort of blogs and that about who should play
1: absolutely uh, i find it kind of i find it a bit it feels a bit dirty (laughs) not in a sexual sense but there's just something a bit weird about actually finally putting the face of someone onto a character who feels almost like an aspect of yourself
0: and you know with your genre and your style people have read your work and they say your name they think of
1: whatever that? they think of well, yeah
0: <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Is, is is there is it like going okay i found this is definitely i always want to write in this world kind of world or have you thought mm, you know maybe i could write something completely different yeah i mean i'm, I'm sort of
1: open to, to any idea i think it's difficult once you've got a reputation for something once you've had a certain amount of success at something it's quite hard to then try something
0: radically different Unless you use an alias or something.
1: Yeah, but even then, I mean, you know that, you know, if I wrote a science fiction book under an alias, for example, I know for a fact I'd sell quarter as many copies if I'm lucky.
0: Sure. So you, yeah, you'd have to make that. You go, I've got this much creative output. Yeah. If I make that decision, I'm cutting.
1: Yeah, and I mean, with the best will in the world, you want to sell books. You know, it's it's a major metric of success, I think, for a writer. Um, Just because. You know, quite apart from any of the financial aspects, you want Pretty to be read. read. Yes, that's yeah. kind of the point. If I suddenly had an idea and thought that is the idea, I've got to do that. But I'm, I'm not really that type of writer. Sure. I, I kind of wish I was in a way, but I'm not. You know, to me, ideas are are everywhere.
0: Sure, yeah. and it's about it's it's a conscious choice about how you choose to pick and piece them together. Yeah,
1: it's the ex it's all in the execution. And yeah. um, but do like you us, how much you... coffee do you drink? That's an interesting question.
0: A lot. Dear, I would say. Everyone defines it differently because you say cups and then if you're really geeky about it, you're like, well, actually I'll do it in the amount of grams uh, dissolved, uh, then consumed. (laughs) But I mean, I probably do about six cups of coffee a day. Um, My tolerance has got way better. Uh, Right now I'm having even more because I'm currently When you say better, does that mean you're more tolerant or less? More tolerant. So you can drink more to to less effect? Yes, which I'm pleased about because when I first got into coffee, I was like, this is amazing, this stuff. And then I wanted to taste that type of coffee made in that way and I was just destroyed.
1: Right, right. Leslie, uh,
0: just too much caffeine. Yeah, well, absolutely ruined. And I, what I would do loads, I just crash. I just right. lie down. I can't focus on anything. The thing is, the technology, and we know a lot more about coffee now, so we can weigh it and we can use better technology. But in the early days, you would... Be trying to fiddle around with the parameters to make the best cup of coffee and the only way you knew how good it was to, was to taste it right of course and you like taste it and you go oh, it's a bit sour it's a bit this and you'd adjust the grind or you change the dose and you know if you don't get it right in three or four cups <laughs> you're starting to lose yeah. lose your ability to Can you not
1: spit it out like a glass of wine or whatever yeah.
0: well i did um i've always been keen on spitting it out uh-huh. um my wife leslie in the little shop when she was on shift a couple times she um for some reason doesn't spit out and then right. We had these, this couple come in and she had just had way too much coffee. And it was so bad that her hands were shaking so bad that the customer took the milk jug off her and poured their own drink. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose my, my, the, the question was, you know, as being
1: deeply involved in coffee as a profession kind of spoiled your personal appreciation of it, I guess, in a way.
0: Yeah, it definitely... wouldn't say it's spoiled. It's right. your relationship is different. Mm-hmm. And I would say I'm far more analytical now it's hard for you just to
1: enjoy it for itself you're constantly thinking oh is will this sell is this interesting yeah yeah
0: and exactly or could we roast that differently or how does this compare to that other green coffee that we bought i'm also thinking about we sell all around the world and the water's different all around the world and people i'm often tasting coffee thinking about the email i got from someone saying that they found the coffee to be a lot like this or a lot like that sometimes negative sometimes positive hopefully most of the time positive <laughs> yeah. but so i'm I'm tasting it and i'm getting i'm often asking our team and to make it differently or you know oh can i try it with like that or like that do, do you see what i mean yeah like, yeah yeah yeah. so lots of quality assessment all the
1: time going back to reading and uh, writing i i find that since becoming a writer the way i experience books has totally changed and kind of ruined at least in my own genre so it's very hard also, to turn do, off
0: sometimes but, do you just want a, a break <laughs>
1: But then I don't tend to read if that's what I want to do.
0: That's what I mean, I guess, to to a degree where when I was getting into coffee, I used loads of my spare time to do coffee Mm, because I wanted to experience more of it. Now that my career is coffee, Mm. so much of my time is taken up with coffee, my (laughs) spare time is now consumed by my new hobby, which is powerlifting. Yeah, and presumably um, eating and diet, diet, and all the that. Things bit's that bit's
1: not are fun. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely connected with it.
0: Yeah, well, that, before when you asked me about drinking coffee cups per day, I'm actually drinking more coffee right now to suppress my appetite because I'm trying to lose. You're trying to cut. I'm trying to get weight down weight into, weight. into lower weight class. Yeah, and um, you know, so so much for it being a hobby. I'm now, <laughs> I'm now taking part in a national competition. Yeah. But I think that's something I learnt about. Everyone's different. I learnt about myself is. The idea of just chilling out and doing nothing doesn't yeah. doesn't appeal to me at all.
1: I, I possibly have a similar issue in the sense that I get quite competitive and obsessive about anything I'm I'm taking seriously. Sure. So either I'm taking something seriously or, or I'm pretending that I don't care at all.
0: <laughs> and uh, neither is particularly... I, I do that when I play tennis because I'm right, rubbish yeah, at so it. it. I, don't, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> uh,
1: and in a way, that was what was so difficult about writing initially is that, you know, I couldn't pretend I wasn't taking it absolutely seriously. Sure. There's nowhere to hide. So I mean, I, I watch a lot of TV. Really, yeah. I watch a lot of TV, and I watch films. And um, and the the great thing about TV recently is it's become so well written. A lot of it. When I was a kid, okay. film was where the art was. Okay. Really, but these days. Feels like long-form fo- long television, you know, serialised TV. For the last 10, 15 years, really a
0: golden age of storytelling in that medium. So I'm, I'm a sucker for reviews. Right. We've just talked about how annoyed we get by reviews. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I still feel like I don't want to waste my time on something.
1: Yeah, so. I mean, well, you say, I really love a proper, intense, critical analysis of, of one of my books. I, fi- I find them fascinating. But there's not many, many people us. who are really doing that level of academic kind of analysis there's a couple of people who are very you know high-level English professors with the full range of critical tools who aren't trying to show off in terms of their well-readness and their kind of uh, their cleverness but they clearly have it you know yes and when you read one of them talking about fantasy it's
0: that's fascinating. So I yeah, love, because it, because it feels valuable as well. Actually, yeah, and you, you learn like something. Getting, yeah, exactly. Thanks so much for sitting down with me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for your books. Well, that too is a pleasure. I'm a bit of a fan. Nice. Yeah. Good taste. Well, yeah. I'm a fan of your coffee also, so you know mutual appreciation. Look at that. You can't see it right now, but we're we're embracing each other. We are. So what have we learned from Joe? Boundaries make for better Star Wars films. Adapting your own book for the screen is a lesson in disappointment. Not everyone will like what you do, which is fine, but the idea of being in a square with all of those people at once is absolutely terrifying. Coffee Curious is sponsored by Best Coffee. Discover the best coffee wherever you are in the world. You can find Best Coffee in your favourite app store and us at coffeecuriouspodcast.com. Join me next time for another inspiring conversation inspired by coffee.